The following episode of TOEFOP is rated MA for mature audiences. It may contain sexual references, time travel references, allegations of bin misconduct, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that this episode is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who thinks a comedy conversation between two old mates sounds like a terrible idea for a show. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson, and I'm here to introduce our third compilation episode. Um, this is the best of Tofop, or arguably, well, best of is, is of course, subjective. Um, look, let's just say it's our favorite clips from Tofop. And when I say our favorite, it's Podcast Mike's favorite bits from the show. Uh, yes, Will is having another week off. If you've heard the intro for Philosophy, uh, you'll understand that um, he's got some stuff going on that I'm sure we'll get to at some point in the future. But uh, for now, he's taking some time away from the podcast. So I'm going to plow ahead with complete creative freedom <laughs> to do whatever I want, uh, starting with another a compilation episode, but we've got some stuff uh, coming up, including an Ask Podcast Mike Anything episode. Uh, if you've been to the TOEFOP Twitter account or Instagram, you see that we're asking for questions, things that you would like to ask Podcast Mike about what it's like being the TOEFOP producer. Um, he sits in when we record live, you know, we throw questions at him, things he has to Google, he cuts the episodes, he selects what clips go out. So if you've got any questions about that, inverted commas process uh just go to our uh, our twitter page or instagram and just uh, put your question in the comments below and tag it a p m a <laughs> hashtag a p m a it's a play on ask me anything a m a but it's a p and you, i mean you get it well i don't know what i'm what i'm saying this is stupid let's just get to the first clip before this gets any worse uh you may recall that earlier this year uh, I came across, well, I rediscovered the Mr. Men series. I've been reading it to Iona. And I was quite disturbed by the story of Mr. Tickle, which was the first Mr. Men book published. Um, And so we went into a deep dive in that episode. I highly recommend you go out and listen to that episode. We're not going to play the clip about Mr. Tickle because it goes for about 45 minutes, but I encourage you all to listen to that episode. It's one of my favorites from the year. Podcast Mike did an incredible job uh, putting a sound bed underneath it to make it sound like a true crime podcast. But we did talk about another Mr. Man and his uh, 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 square face, and that is, of course, Mr. Strong. So uh, take it away, Will and Charlie. Here's what I remember of the Mr. Men yeah. series. I believe it was by somebody called Roger Hargraves, Correct. if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And my only other memory is that all the Mr. characters were called things like, Mr. Awesome, you can do anything. Mm. And then all the female characters were like, Mrs. nags me too much. <laughs> Women are real grumpy. <laughs> Miss, shut your bloody mouth. <laughs> that, I mean, I don't think that's universally what it was, but it always felt like they were the lines on which it was drawn. Yeah, okay. So if anyone unfamiliar with Mr. Men, yes, they have one predominant characteristic which yeah. forms the basis of uh, their adventures. And... I've got to I've got to tell you that uh, so there is some later there's some recent additions to the Mr. Men universe. So there's, there's the classics that we know, Mr. Strong, Mr. Bounce, Mr. Small, Mr. Bump, you know, Mr. Mess, uh, Mr. Greedy, who I remember uh, when I was in primary school, uh, we were making placemats for our parents uh, for for our mothers for Mother's Day, and I drew like a diorama of 
the Mr. Men characters. And Mr. Greedy, if you remember, he would always stand in profile and he'd have that long pink belly. And so when I drew my Mr. Greedy, I put the belly probably like a foot too low. <laughs> Just a little low. And so they laminated this placemat and I gave it to mum for Mother's Day. And I remember her unwrapping it and my older brother, Jamie, just pissing himself with laughter because Mr. Greedy looked like Mr. Erection. <laughs> Mr. Very Greedy. <laughs> Couple of money bags in there. Uh, so there's been some recent additions to the Mr. Men universe. Um, and I did do some research before we jumped on the mics. So Roger Hargraves died in 1988. His son, Adam Hargraves, uh, has taken over the series. And so he started adding some new characters. So there's some characters called like Mr. Cool and uh, uh, Mr. Brave. And I have to say that whatever charm and magic. I guess like Mr. Cool, like he's, I hope his whole plot line is Mr. Cool arrives at some new place and is like, I'm Mr. Cool. That's what everyone used to call me in my old school, in my old town. And everyone's like, you can't make up your own nickname, Mr. Cool. Well, Mr. Cool's deal is that, so there's a kid who's sick in bed. And, you know, he just wishes that he was feeling better. And then, like, Mr. Cool, who's like a blue triangle wearing a top hat, you know, the kid's feeling uh, not well. And so Mr. Cool's like, well, how would you like to fly in a jet plane? And the kid's like, well, that'd be cool. And he snaps his fingers and they're flying in a jet plane. And then he's like, how would you like to kick the winning goal, you know, in, in the grand final? And so then he's on the pitch, you know, kicking the winning goal. And he's how would you like to do this? And so... I'm like, all right, well, that's, you know, that's a clear power fantasy wish fulfillment uh, metaphor. But I seem to remember the older books being a little more about, okay, so, you know, if you're Mr. Grumpy, for instance, then you've got to learn that that's an emotion you need to deal with. But these defining characteristics of the Mr. Men, normally there's some moral. Yeah, it was a message about being messy or a message about being grumpy or like, you know, there was some sort of moral in it. Whereas this one is, hey man, it'd be great to be cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like. I mean, Mister Cool is the Elon Musk of uh, the Mister Men universe. He just like, does whatever he wants. He does, he's a billionaire. Even the fact that he's called Mister Cool when he's really like Mister Magic or whatever, yeah. Mister Wish Granter is actually what he is, right? Yeah, I mean, but he, he goes it's home. It's even a marketing thing that he's like. <laughs> I mean, no, I reckon granting wishes is cool, so I'm going to call myself Mister Cool. <laughs> there should have been just like a, an epilogue where it's just he gets home into his empty mansion and just like cries himself to sleep because he leads such an unfulfilling life going around and granting every child's wish. Now, is there any chance that I am underselling Roger Hargraves, Adam Hargraves and the entire Hargraves estate? But is mystical like mystical? Is he mystical, mystical? Like is he able to... uh, You're not underselling. Because that would have been... If I was like, oh, because, Mr. Cool, mystical. But the, you, you can tell there is a there is a clear writing difference. Like the other thing I'll say about the Mr. Ben books, the Roger Hargraves penned ones, is they're terribly written. Like just terrible structure, just the uh, the syntax is awful, nothing, like they're repetitive, everything about it is bad. They're the charming. Man, the, the, the man's dead, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Give him a break. He's rolling over in his Hargrave right now. Yeah, he's Mr. Dead, I'll tell you that much. Who's <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Stinky now? Uh, but there is a charm to the, you know, just the simplicity of it and obviously the drawings and all that kind of oh. stuff. But then with the, the Adam Hargrave stuff, like there's another one called Mr. Brave where it doesn't actually make any sense where Mr. Brave's whole thing is Mr. Brave's a small little character, you know, with glasses and stuff. So he's a real nerd. And uh, Mr. Brave is on his way to little Miss Bossy's house. 
and he doesn't want to be late because Little Miss Bossy, you don't fuck with Little Miss Bossy. That's what I... No, because you know what women are like, yeah. Bossy. No, 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 no. All the time. So along the way, um, he runs into other Mr. Men's and Little Misses and, you know, helps them. He, he keeps saying that I'm not brave, I'm not brave, but then he'll do something brave, like, you know, get a cat out of a tree or whatever. But then the very last thing is, um, uh, uh, you know, he... He helps someone down from like, I think it's Little Miss, I think it's Little Miss Somersault. She's a gymnast and, you know, she's stuck doing something and he helps her. And then he runs off and he's like, but I'm not brave. And then one of the other Mr. Men turns to another Mr. Men and goes, but he is brave because you have to be brave to go hang out with Little Miss Bossy for an afternoon. And oh, I'm my like, God. Roger, put it away. No, that's Adam. That's what I'm saying. Like, they get a lot oh. worse when Adam takes over the franchise. Oh, like, more misogynist, you reckon, when Adam's, like... Pretty much, but also completely misses the point, like, this simple moral lesson of the Mr. Men franchise, which is, like, you know, generally, if it's a negative trait that this person has, they generally overcome it by the end of the story, or if it's positive trait they lose it and then get it back or they learn to share that positive trait with someone else that's the general formula for mr men but the reason i bring all of this up will is that i came across the the very first mr men story and oh sorry the other thing about mr cool before we get to this is that when i'm reading it to iona um i have to do voices and i've been experimenting with the mr cool voice and i didn't all right, let me give you my Mr. Cool voice and tell me if this like um, if this if this reads cool to you. You might need to close your eyes. I don't know, but if I go, okay. Hey, it's Mr. Cool. You want to go flying on a fighter jet? Yeah. Okay, you know what I'm going to say? What? Is it did help to close my eyes. Yeah, And right. I hope that other people listening close their eyes also, unless you're driving or something. <laughs> but if you were in a place where you could close your eyes, it does actually help. Even, like, rewind a bit. Close your eyes, have a listen to that, because I was able to disassociate. So... Because I thought it was... I started worrying, and I was already committed, and I didn't want to change the voice after through the read, that he was sounding sleazy, like... Mr. Cool is the guy who you start the evening thinking he's cool, but then yeah. you start to realize, oh, he wants me to this, do- I don't reckon Mr. Cool is that cool. No, and he's wanting me to do drugs and stuff. And he's actually- Turns like- out the guy who's 20 years older than us who was hanging out at this bar and immediately <laughs> became friends with us and offered us drugs isn't as cool as we immediately thought. That's exactly- Now that we've hung out with him for a while. That's the vibe I got because that's Mr. Yeah. Cool's thing is he goes around and- Funzy. I'm, I'm assuming from this one book, he goes around and just cheers up kids, like, you yeah. know, finds out. And it's like, hey, Mr. Cool, why aren't you hanging out with- other Mr. Men, like you're Mr. Man, uh, hang out with Mr. C- Mr. Can't visit a school. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> right. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're back from the Mr. Strong clip. I'm glad. I wasn't sure if you'd, you'd hang in there, but you have, and, and I'm really proud of you. Um, this next little conversation is uh, Will uh, went on an American podcast because we can do that. We are secure enough in our podcasting relationship that we allow each other to go off and do other people's podcasts i mean generally i get asked by like you know some teenager you've never heard of to do their podcast will gets invited on big big american podcasts like this one um so uh he's he went in to talk about his top 10 australian films um good episode this one see if you can guess what will's top 10 australian films are take it away will or me we're both there I'm going to do 10 Australian movies ah. 
Not the 10 best Australian movies. Just 10 that mean something. I'm going to, yeah, 10 movies that tell you something about what it means to be Australian through movies. Right. And I thought it might be fun to see how many of my 10 you could guess. So this is me. If I had to name 10 Australian films, I'm happy to give you some clues along the way if you need. But how many of the top 10 Australian films do you think you could name of the 10 that I went with? Following the idea that, they're not necessarily the best films, but they say they say something about being Australian. Something about being Australian, the experience of, you know, Australia, they're culturally significant. How many of the films did these guys know? How many were world famous? Well, I'm going to say come? less than I thought. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is meant to be a jumping off point for conversations, but there was only, I would say, three or four of the films that they had seen or even heard of or had much, you know, interest in, to be okay. honest. Well, first one's obviously Alvin Purple, and then I guess it's Alvin Rides Again. <laughs> uh, so think a little bit more through the prism of, you know, what might have, that I think, I think in my lifetime would have been. The first thing that came to yep. mind is The Castle. Okay. So The Castle, which I said is probably the most iconic Australian film of all time. Yes. So, yes. Quintessential, great. like, especially if you're saying what's it like to be an Australian, that is filled with kind of Australian colloquialisms and references to like pop culture in the late nineties and stuff like that. So it would be that, that that's the first one. But then after that, I'm like, Oh, this is interesting. Now the next thing I would go to is the most obvious choice, but I don't think you would go obvious. Did you go? obvious? No, I went some obvious because I was like, but like, this is the most obvious choice. Yes. Of course you have to talk about crocodile Dundee. Because I wanted to know from their point of view, because it's so, like, for us, it's so ingrained as part of our culture, right? This $7 million movie that made $350 million, it went all over the world, it became a cultural phenomenon, it was how people saw Australia, like, you know, Mm. it's still to a certain extent how people see Australia in a whole bunch of different places. Like, it's been both a really positive thing for Australia, and I think then eventually kind of a negative thing that has held us back because a lot of what we do now is fight against that depiction of who we are as Australians. I don't think you can have a conversation about Australian cinema without having a conversation around you have Crocodile to. Dundee yeah. because so many of the other films, because I actually said to them, I said, like, you know, this is how America saw us, you know, we're, mm. we're Mick Dundee, but how we saw us is the castle. Yeah. All right, third film. Yeah. Is Mad does a, does a Mad Max film feature in this? Yes. Is it Mad Max Fury Road? It is Mad Max Fury Road, which, which I rewatched sense. in preparation for the podcast, and is outstanding. It's I th- it gets better. It gets better. Yeah. I said to the guys on their show, but I think the thing that I've I, I've said since the start that I love this about the movie, but I the more you watch it, the more you realise is that so many movies want a universe build and they spend then all this time telling you the rules of the universe whereas what they did was they actually from top to bottom made a universe that makes sense Mm. and then they just went go there's a story in the middle of it and all this makes sense yeah and you have to just catch up with it as you go um all right next film um i'm going to take a bit of a punt and say wolf creek Wolf Creek is on the list. Holy shit. All right. Of 
Four for four. Partly because I wanted to tell that story of watching it at your place in, in Melbourne. In Sydney. In Melbourne? Melbourne. In Melbourne. Um, with Greg. Yeah. When he was first like, hey, I've made this movie. Can you, you want to see it? And I remember just in my head going, oh, yeah, this will be great. <laughs> I can't believe we don't have to watch it with him right here. And it was great. Terrifying, horrifying. And that was like an unmixed version too. That was like, uh, he's basically doing a screen test, or an audience test. Yeah. And... But I wanted to talk to to them in the context of it flipping that crocodile dundee yeah. narrative. You know that we took yeah this thing that had been lovable and gave it a bit more realism, which is that if you meet a character like that in the middle of nowhere, they're much more likely to kill you than they are to be Mick Dundee. So, so good. You're doing well. Four from four. Um, I'm going to go back a little bit no. to the early 90s. Okay. A certain star-making turn by Russell Crowe. Oh, you're good at this. Rompus Dumper. Rompus Dumper. Well, well I think you and I have kind of quite similar taste in films, so I'm just thinking, what am I going to nominate? And, and there aren't that many Aussie films, so you know, I feel like I got a good shot with this. Yeah, okay, good. Well done. Rompus Dumper. Rompus Dumper. Rompus Dumper. I well, love skinheads. That it was. <laughs> I said this was the one time that there were neo-Nazis in Australia, and we cleared it up after that. Yeah. No. It was very much about the star-making turn of Russell Crowe. Had a conversation around the idea of, which is something I think about a lot, which is, can an actor be so good that you like a character that's not meant to be sympathetic? Like, I understand that you can cast for that. Like, Mm. so we have this unsympathetic character, we're going to cast someone who's really sympathetic and we're going to play with that. But is there a point where the, the performance is so good? Because, like... He's not the hero of that movie. It's not meant to be a movie where you go... He's not. He's the protagonist, but he's not yeah. the hero. But I think that you watch it and you kind of... He's so, so well, I think isn't compelling. It, that, but isn't it a lesson in, like, if he was... If the character he was playing was Hitler, it's an exploration of how someone's charisma mm. can cause people to do awful things, how his belief in some twisted dogma, mm. you know, can affect the minds of others. So I think you can definitely... Uh, like a character who does horrible things. Like think of um, uh, Christian Bale playing Dick Cheney, like and complete plays him completely unlikably. There's no vanity in that performance at all, but it's like a compelling character because he just fucking is ruthless in going after what he wants. Uh, Any, any documentaries make the list? No. One that uh, is often confused with being a documentary. Hmm. Okay. Um, all right, Probably an unlikely that. one for the list, by the way. It's not a movie I think that we particularly have talked about, but I just, I was talking about the idea of seeing something that you had no expectations about and that was made by some people who just had a an idea mm. and because it was made with friends and family and stuff who were, who were professional actors, it was very hard to tell if you didn't know whether it was a... A documentary or not. Kenny. Kenny. <laughs> Too much info. <laughs> and it was about toilets. <laughs> Turns out they had not seen Kenny. I've never seen Kenny. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's. I reckon it's worth watching. I think too much time has passed. Well, I think it, that's it, the problem. The trailers didn't grab yeah. me, and now it's become so like, you know, it's like one of those films that you feel like, you're, well, I feel like it's been talked about so much that, I, that I've seen it. Also- you know Shane Jacobson is not Kenny. Yeah. Like when that movie first came along, like it's done because they just went to a toilet company because they shot a lot of it backstage at yeah a horse race and the you know an actual festival and these sort of things. It's 
almost like you, you know when you watch a Borat movie and half of it's going oh, which bit's acting and which bit's like set up and which bit's like mm. an actual stunt this is not a stunt movie Kenny but because it's set in the real world and he's the only one and at the time people didn't know and it's played just on that side of that you could almost think it's a documentary and I think that's one of the but my favourite thing about that film is that they just had an idea for a film and Made it. All right, I've got a couple mm. in my head that are just, I'm mm. going to throw out there. This one is a complete Hail Mary. I don't know if you've seen this. Dogs in Space. Oh, I have seen it, but it did not make the I list. Make, no. God damn it. Oh, two hands. Two hands. Heath Ledger, Rose Byrne. Yeah, great Ryan film. Brown. Excellent film. The I rewatched that. It just was on TV the other night. The scene where he they robbed the bank, they planned the bank robbery. Yeah, he shot he's a good mate. <laughs> they just, and then robbed the bank is... It's fucking hilarious. Yeah. It is really, really funny film. I'd forgotten how. And like intentionally funny, not like it's. Yeah, yeah. I know when James and Meso have American listeners say, hey, what Australian films should we watch? Two Hands is normally their go to. Yeah. Which I think, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it in years, but I imagine it would hold up. It was just a good, solid film. It sort of was in that era of the Guy Ritchie, Tarantino, crime, quirky crime film. I think it holds up better than I remember it. Yeah. Yeah. And Heath Ledger's. Great. You can tell immediately that he was going to be a star. Uh, I, I, I'm not floor. keeping count, but I think we, we might have two left. Okay. I think you might have guessed. Okay. So, um, all right. So, both about iconic moments or things in Australian history. And both from the 80s, early 80s. Oh, okay. And they're, they're feature films, not telly movies, not like the. Not telly movies. Not the Byron Kennedy no, but, dismissal. Uh, no, but feature... Key Australian. Yeah, key Australian moments. Gallipoli. Gallipoli, which is an excellent, excellent, excellent film. film. Still heartbreaking. Don't go. When you hear the whistle, don't go. Just stay where you are. That's my tip. When you hear that bloody whistle, just stay in the trench. It is... Heartbreaking. I mean, as I said to them, no spoilers because it's a real event. Like, it's fine. It did not go well for us, yeah. but... That is such a beautifully made film. Yeah. And I'm getting goosebumps actually thinking about that last five minutes. It's a, it, I remember seeing that as a kid and been utterly devastated. Devastated. Because Peter Weir takes the time at the start of the movie to make those characters fun. Mm. In fact, I was thinking about it in preparation for this. And I think one of the great things about that film is that you really get a sense of, oh, yeah, our best, like, got sent off for no reason and like massacred as like cannon fodder for the British on this fucking beach, you know, this day. And they were like, you know, champion sprinters and yeah, members of the community, a generation that just got fucking erased for no good fucking reason. It's actually a very, I always think of Gallipoli as being like a pro war movie, but I think like as an adult, well, no, just because it's about war, right, you yeah. kind of think that it's like, but it's clearly not. Yeah. It's clearly a massive, it's a very like, well-made, massive anti-war movie. It's as, as big a war movie as Platoon is yeah. a war movie. Like, it is so confronting, so, so sad. And what a final shot of a film to freeze frame on that and go to black. So there's no kind of moment where you see the band swell and he gets lowered into the grave with Australian flag. There's none of that shit. It's just like, what? Yeah, it's over. Life gets snuffed out. Goodbye. That's it. One final film, I think. Okay, what genre? Uh, Farlap. Correct. Oh, it was a (laughs) Farlap. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> oh, that was a shot. Of, you know what? It's just gazing out your office you to just the rolling felt hills. It. And yeah, you yeah. just felt something. Yeah, are you like, you like, Will probably ran out at number nine, hadn't thought of dead calm. He's looked out the window, seen some horses, <laughs> and gone, follow it. <laughs> it's either that or the man from Snowy River. Did that get a, did you think? They were my toss-up movies, yeah. to be honest. The horse I, film. I wanted to, like, because they just feel... In, like I, they're just the first movies I remember watching. Yeah, I would have probably been that age, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, like you know that sort of thing, where your parents aren't going to let you watch a whole bunch of movies, and they were pretty, you know, because you're learning something. You know, it's about this. You know, I, so I think that. Yeah, I mean, I hate horse racing now, but like Farlap is a movie that it's all that underdog stuff I and quite remember. No, Tom Bellinson's in both, isn't he? He's in Farlap and he's Johnny the Man from Snow River. Tommy John Cock or Johnny Tom Cock. What's the character's <laughs> name? Tommy Woodcock. Tommy Woodcock. Tommy Woodcock. Yeah, I know I know it Tommy sounds John. like the comedy. You actually went with a less comedic. <laughs> this next clip is probably one of the most um, notorious uh, episodes of Tofop uh, from this year. The one that we've definitely got the most correspondence about. Um, it's all about my beard. And and uh, my beloved beard trimmer. I had this uh, this beard trimmer uh, made by Remington, which the guardrail broke, and I went on a epic quest to find a replacement. Um, and this is part of that story again, just like the Mister Tickle episode. I highly recommend, and you go back to, to listen to the whole thing. And if you want some visual accompaniment, there is a very funny clip uh, to do with this episode on our YouTube channel, which is Tofop TV on YouTube. Uh, take it away, Charlie and Will talking about a razor, uh, electric razor. I have done a lot of research on beard trimmers. Every TV show I've worked on in the makeup room, they often have a, a variety of clippers. And, um, you know, I always would have a, long conversations with the makeup artists about, well, you know, I think this works. And so I'm not a big fan. There's basically two kinds of beard trimmers that you can get. One is like the clip-on, where you clip on the, the different guards. So, you know, started one, two, mm-hmm. three, four, but you, and I find that kind of fiddly and annoying. The other one is kind of like an extendable guard, usually on a oh. dial or some kind of like slider. So you can, you know, and you, you keep it all together. And that's my preferred beard trimmer. I've done a lot of research on, uh, on clippers, the ones that I like. And mm-hmm. so I like the one with the guard that's attached so you don't have to clip the ones on and off. But I found this um, uh, this one particular beard trim about four years ago. It's a Remington, and it has a pop up mustache trimmer as well. So you think about it like a, it's like a switchblade. You press a button, and this tiny little blade pops out from the front. Or like it's more like in Alien. You know how they have the second little mouth that pops out. Oh, yeah. It's like that. <laughs> so you've got the main clipper bit for your face, and then when you want to trim the edges, you hit this little button, and a little mouth comes out, and you can do. And it's Brilliant. It's it's such a great beard trimmer. But, but it's about a specialist. Specialist. Like the, the mustache is like he's a, I don't want to touch the rest of your face. I have a mustache specialist. Yes, exactly. And I love this beard trimmer so much. And then about maybe 18 months ago, a year ago, tragedy struck and the guard, the, the plug on guard snapped. So a couple of the teeth broke. So it was no longer possible to use because you just get like an uneven beard. So it comes with another kind of um, like a backup guard, I guess, which is like a clip-on thing with a little dial, but it doesn't offer the same sort of degree of finesse. Like you're not getting the same kind of like degrees in between uh, hair levels and all that kind of stuff. But I've been using it begrudgingly, mainly because I love the mustache trimmer. It's such a, it's a, great, such a great addition. Anyway, um, 
when we started, uh, when we came to the Gold Coast, we sort of left home in, in such a rush that I didn't bring my charger. And so I had probably about, you know, two or three weeks of been able to use this thing before it, it busted out. And I've been trying to find like-minded, you know, plugs and all the accommodation of staying in, like unplugging alarm clocks and stuff. And I don't know. Oh, look, I'm not an electrician. I don't know how it works, but I'm finding plugs that are exactly the same size. But I guess it's something to do with like the wattage or the voltage or something like that because I'm plugging them in, the light's coming on on the charger to say it's charging, but then it's not taking any juice. Do you have any opinion on that? Yeah, electricity is very fussy about what it serves. It's like, <laughs> this is not an alarm clock. Fuck that. This guy's going to rub this on his face. Well, it's like, do you notice when you went to the States and you tried to plug in appliances, yes. like you'd get the adapter and it wouldn't work? Mm, because of the different wattage. It's so stupid. Like everyone should just, <laughs> it should just be like universal. Why can't the power of electricity be much simpler? Yeah. Why can't it be one size fits all? It should be Why one size fits all. Why can't I use the same all? amount of electricity on my vacuum cleaner as I do on my razor? Well, they used to do like, you know, region coding for DVDs and things like that. And then everyone was like, this is fucking stupid. Let's just unlock it and have like a global standard, you know, for whatever format we're going to use. They should do the same thing with electricity. It makes no sense unless... You know, well, you've got countries- to take it to some dodgy retailer who can rewire it for you. You'll be like, mate, <laughs> yeah. it's okay. You'll be able to use this plug for everything. Uh, so the, char- the, 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 the shaver wasn't working. So I was like, okay, this has been a good shaver to me, but maybe it's time to get a new one. Yeah. And I'm a bit like, I'm not like you. You, something breaks, you get a new one. I'm much more kind of guilty Catholic where I will use something until it crumbles. I will try and like hold it together with masking tape and stuff. And, you know, Gemma's always like, just fucking like get a new one. What are you trying to do here? What are you trying to prove? And I'm like, I've got integrity. I just don't throw things away once they stop working. I hang on to it. I'll do my very best. I leave no shaver behind. Yeah, but there's a problem with your approach, which is that there's two positions that are reasonable. One is that you throw it out and you get a new one. But I understand there's some argument that that's not good for the world and it'd be better if we like didn't throw out as many things and replace them all the time. And it's that sort of consumerism that's leading to the destruction of the planet. So there's the other end, which is the people who repair things. You know, there's repair yep. shops and kiosks and community groups that get together and go, you know what, if you've got a shaver, I can rewire that shaver and we can get it going again. But you are stuck in some limbo in between, which yeah. is – just continuing to use the broken product. <laughs> like, you're not fixing it. Yeah. You're not trying to take it apart and rewire it and make it work again. You're just literally just stubbornly. going, broken, therefore I am going to just keep using it. It's like you've got a hole in the bottom of your drinking glass, yeah. but as long as you drink quicker than the water falls out the bottom, you're still getting some water and you're like, this will do. I literally had a water bottle that had a leak in it and I refused to get a new one. <laughs> I just wouldn't fill it above the leak point and I would hold it on the on the side where the leak wasn't when I was drinking from it. And again, Jim was like, can you please just get a new drink bottle? Because <laughs> again, these are not majorly expensive items that we're talking about no. either. Like I no. understand if this is like, you know, like a you've car. got a lawnmower yeah. and, you know, you're right on lawnmower, like one of the blades is a, like, you know, a little wonky or whatever and you don't know how to replace it yet, but at some stage you will and... I kind of understand that persistence, but these are water bottles and like razors are Mm. inexpensive items really to replace. Yes, 100%. So I, first thing I did was try and find a replacement guard for this particular brand of Remington. Um, And I couldn't find it anywhere. Couldn't even really find a spare part place. Mm. Sometimes you can find like, you know. uh, It's because they're all in my bathroom cupboard, Charles. Yeah. (laughs) 
That's why I turned out I am some sort of tycoon. I've struck fucking... It's like... It honestly does feel like that. If you had counted on the fact that there'd be like lockdowns countrywide and... You know, people shutting their borders, people stuck into state with no charges and needing, you know, new blades. You, you would have made a fortune. I'm like one of those guys who stockpiled toilet paper at the yes. start and tried to sell it for $20 a roll. I should have been <laughs> farming out these razor guards. Um, so I couldn't find the replacement um, guard, the one that, that, that oh. you can scroll up and down. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go start looking at new razors. And I also went to the Remington website and... From what I discovered, it was discontinued, like that particular brand. I was like, oh, that's that's a bummer. Okay. So it turns out, not far from where I'm staying, there's a shaver shop, a big uh, outlet store with, you know, dozens of brands of, of beard trimmers. And I'm like, well, this should be like an easy process. I'm just going to go in. I have two requirements. One is I want the built-in guard that's on an adjustable dial, and I want the mustache trimmer. That's all I want. Um, and so I go in, and a lot's changed, Will, in the last, you know, four or five years um, of uh, trimmer technology. Uh, for one thing, ball trimming is all the rage. <laughs> I'm not sure oh, yeah. if you're aware, but everything's for your balls now. Like there are so many wet trimmers, ball trimmers. And it's funny how some of the ball trimming products, you know, they use euphemisms and stuff like, you know, if you want to clean downstairs and others are like, this is how you trim your testicles. <laughs> this is how you do it. Get your scrotum out and cut the hair off it like this. I mean, I've got to be honest with you. I like the more direct approach. If I'm yeah. going in to buy something to trim my testicles, which I am not, <laughs> I need to point out 100% I am not. Uh, but if I were to do that, I think I would want to purchase a product that had really direct instructions about what it was I was doing. I wouldn't want to like open a euphemistic instruction book, like where it was referring to it as down there or the area. I'd be like, no, 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 no. How, how closely do I put it to my scrotum? Well, I guess men, with the advent of all this ball trimming technology, men have been experiencing what women have experienced for years when it comes to advertising things like, you know, tampons or sanitary pads. It's like, what are you doing with all this blue dye and stuff? Like, this is, it's confusing. So now for men, it's like, they'll put shaving cream on a watermelon and run one of the razors over it. And like, what? Like, yeah. Does this guy have elephantitis of the nuts? What's going on? I've never got a hairy watermelon. And if I did, the first thing that I would think about is not shaving it. I would be returning it. I'd be like, there is there is clearly pubic hair all over the outside of your watermelon. I mean, it was an interesting insight into how male grooming has changed. Like, I think it's no, you know, it's not a surprise to anyone that advertisers realized, what, about 20 years ago that half the market they were missing out on. So now they're just like advertising as hard to men's insecurities as they are to women's. And so there were so many products in there, which is like, if you've got a hairy back, you gross pig, shave it with this, you know? If you've got gross hair here, shave it with this. People are disgusted by you. Shave in the shower, you pig. Like all this. You know what I love about that as well is that the lesson that we learned out of it wasn't that men have been able to be gross pigs and not have to shave their balls and stuff like that. So therefore, perhaps we could have those same standards for women that they can present themselves however they want to with hair on their bodies and you know, not makeup or whatever it is that they choose to do. And that is okay. No, our lesson was we must make men feel bad about yeah, these things You're all well. gross. It's the Garden of Eden principle. It's once you've eaten the forbidden fruit, we're gonna re- you're going to realize you're naked and you're going to feel tremendous shame about being naked and you want to do something about being naked straight away. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, otherwise, how are we going to sell your shit? 
<laughs> so if we can't exploit your absolute fucking shame about how you look. <laughs> By the way, also, yeah. the idea of selling this, you know, like maintenance regime in a time of lockdown when people aren't actually seeing each other is also, are you doing it for yourself? Like, who is it that is going to suddenly, you know... Or is it just that sort of thing of like, oh, well, I'm at home and the only other person who's seen me perhaps is my partner or friend or whatever, and at least I should look good for them? I think you are forgetting about social media. I mean, right. from what I can understand, everyone's yeah. How sending- am I going to get my dick out on yeah. Grindr? <laughs> <laughs> People can't see the forest for the trees, so to speak. I mean, that's what it would be, right? Like everyone's sending nude, so. nudie pics to each other and stuff. It's like you can't have physical contact. So here's this. Here's more hairy watermelons. <laughs> <laughs> or my baby smooth watermelons, I should say. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, so, so I go into the shop and I'm looking at all these products and I say to the lady, can you just take me through the beard trimmers? I said, here's my, here's the, here's the ABCs in me, baby. Yeah. Here's what I need. I want like a, a built-in guard, adjustable guard, and I want a, a mustache trimmer and blah, blah, blah. And so she said, and oh. Like, but how hairy are your balls? What are you going to do about your balls? <laughs> she said, your watermelon's all right? <laughs> what are you going to do about your dirty, hairy watermelons? <laughs> and, she, and she said straight up, she's like, oh, and she goes, well, we can sell you uh, this one. This one has a mustache trimmer separate. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I want, want the, it separate. I, I want, want it separate. attached. I want the, like the alien mouth, you know, flick it out. And she's like, oh, I don't think we... Have one that does that. And I'm like, I mean, you got to be joking, right? Like, it's the greatest feature of the Remington. And I said, what's the, show me the latest Remington. And she's like, oh, this is the latest Remington. And she showed it to me, which is identical to the one I have, but they've got rid of the mustache trimmer. And I'm like, and you fools, a, you maniacs. they a meter long ball trimmer. It comes out a meter. And it's just if you need to trim your taint, here's our extender for that. Because that's comes what we're like doing now. A dentist mirror and a foot long razor blade <laughs> so you can do your taint. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. They got rid of the one feature that to me was made, made it exceptional, but they've released a new model that is almost identical to the model I want. It's just like a souped up turbocharged version. It has all the features I want and probably a bit more. Now, I don't know yeah. what happened. Can do your ears, nose and, and watermelons. <laughs> watermelons as well. I don't know what happened in the interim because I honestly did like a huge search. I got the serial number of the shaver. I put it in Google. I looked for spare parts. I looked at, and everything. I, the, Rem, the Remington site said it was no longer in stock or it was, you know, no, no longer being manufactured. But I don't know if this is like literally in the two weeks since a brand new shaver's come out or, or what's happened, but it exists. And I was like, God damn it. And I see. Maybe at, at Remington, they've just wait, been waiting for one more inquiry. <laughs> Maybe they were like, we are not going to release this new model until there's like a thousand people who demand it. And you just happen to be the lucky thousandth. And when you walked into that shaver shop that day and they're reading through to headquarters, they're like, well, that's it. There's enough demand. Let's you, roll it out. You think they had their Google alerts for like Remington, the, the, uh, what is it? The, it's the Remington, um, 4045 that's the model that i love the beach of 4045 i immediately purchase it i'm like this is ridiculous it has to come from Amazing. the states maybe that's i'll the, pay anything <laughs> maybe that's the issue maybe it wasn't available because it wasn't available maybe i was looking on the remington australia website because when i booked it it's like it's gonna take three weeks to get here mm-hmm. and i'm like oh it's coming from the u.s okay so question yeah has it arrived yet no no it's, it's no i only ordered a couple of days ago have you considered the fact that it won't work in Australia. Fuck no. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
my God. Thanks for listening to this compilation episode of TOEFOP. Uh, next week, we've got a special treat for you all. Podcast Mike is coming on the show uh, to answer your questions. So if you have ever wondered how TOEFOP is put together, what it's like to be the third wheel in our conversation between two old mates, um, then this is your chance to find out the answers. So just go to our Twitter page or Instagram, write in the comments uh, 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 what your question is and tag it. A-P-M-A, hashtag A-P-M-A. But before we go, one last clip. We talk about the documentary Woodstock 99, which even thinking back to the conversation still gives me anxiety. Um, I haven't worked up the courage to watch the documentary yet, uh, but I'll get there eventually when I feel more secure in my life. Have you watched Woodstock 99? No. No. No, I heard someone describe it as the most anxiety-inducing documentary they'd seen in a while, and I just haven't been in the headspace for something that's going to make me feel anxious. Once you see what happened and how it happened, you won't believe that they ever were allowed to have a festival of any kind ever again. (laughs) And also, you won't believe that we just aren't talking about this all the time. It just goes so badly from the start and continues to go badly that I can't believe that when I was watching it, like Amy and I were both watching it, just going, I can't believe this is the first time. Like I'd heard it was a shit show. Like, I mean, I remember Mm. hearing that Woodstock 99 didn't work and blah, blah, blah. But to see the full extent of how badly like it and society all fell down together over that weekend is it's stunning. Like, yeah, absolutely. That person just said anxiety inducing. Absolutely. (laughs) Like the thing that Amy and I kept saying to each other was like, but why didn't they leave? Like that's, <laughs> that's, there are so many, like if you looked back over the red flags, maybe not red hats, but the red flags that were seen that weekend, like, and some of it with very disastrous consequences, by the way, like some of it is funny, but some of it is absolutely not funny at all. There was like Horrifying. a heap of sexual assault and violence and all these sort of things. So like, um, but then there's this other aspect of it where at the end, like, again, this doesn't really spoil anything, essentially by like day four like they've just ripped the entire place down and burnt it like while shows are happening like they're literally tearing down you know the towers where like the like the palings off the wall and then crowd surfing on these palings and then just lighting pushing everything over and lighting it on fire and there is a small part of you that's like well that's fucking something something happened like you just it's like an experiment like you right. watch it, and Stanford you just prison see, experiment or right. something. Yeah, like it is that Lord of the Flies thing. You're like, oh, a weekend. Yeah, if you just it deprive people of sleep, deprive people of food, and you have the like heady mix of like you know, things that are absolutely firing them up. Like people, like there. Again, there's so many things to talk about when you actually watch it. So none of this is like going to spoil any of that. But they designed it. So so for the four days, right? Everyone's camping there. Everyone's staying there. Like sewage is fucked on the first day. Like, on the first day, people are, like, jumping around in puddles of what they think is mud, like they're recreating the original Woodstock and it's clearly fucking feces. By the second day, the clean water is all gone because people are now bathing in the fucking clean water. So what you're meant to drink out of, people are fucking showering in and bathing in. Like, it goes to shit so quickly on the first day 
that like Amy and I were both like like because we were asking ourselves like when would we leave like Rage Against the Machine weren't on until day three or four so I was trying to go how long would I have convinced myself <laughs> that it was worth staying for Rage Against the Machine and I would have been out first night no fucking doubt right. as soon as the toilets stopped working I'd be like fuck this I am out of here this is gonna get to a terrible place but you'll love this so just two programming decisions that just like because the guys organizing it again as you'll see just did a terrible job like made a bunch of terrible decisions did not know what they were dealing with they had three female acts on for the entire weekend so like you've got Rage Against the Machine, you've got like fucking Red Hot Chili Peppers, like Corn, like you know all these like fucking huge bands. They have three female acts. Do you know or could you guess who the three female acts are? It's 1999. Oh. I will say uh, this: what, what they're all you? well-known female acts. Like they were all household names at the time. I would say. And were they? And are they? Um, uh, uh, individual acts or bands or, or like I, mix of both? Look, the clue is that they were very unlike the rest of the lineups. So, yes, not oh. not female singers on big bands, solo female artists singing music that did not really fit with what was programmed for the rest so of the So pop stars. Yeah, well, pop stars. Pop-ish, yes, like pop adjacent. Yeah. You tell me. I don't know. Um, one of them uh, was homeless and lived in a car for a while. Does that give you any jewel jewel okay so jewel played so <laughs> once you've got jewel if i told you there are another two jewel-esque artists can you now narrow in on who they might be cheryl cheryl crow two PJ out of three Harvey. okay cheryl crow no no pj oh. harvey's too too alternative so think about cool. what you've yeah, got okay. now is jewel massive crossover like alternative folky <laughs> star you've got cheryl crow well done nailed that Who's yep, your other female star of that sort of ge generation who is alternative enough to play an alternative <sighs> music festival but also poppy enough to have a bunch of hits? Probably the most well-known uh, skill of those three people. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, Even okay. though like, uh, she isn't currently like necessarily releasing like music that you know, like she's just a, probably a bit more prominently well-known. She was the more iconic person uh, of that era even than Jewel and Cheryl Crow. Oh, shit. I don't know. Once you take PJ out of the question, who is the... Is she like the mainstream PJ? Mate, well, Charlie, like can I... Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, okay. Like, yeah, give me a hint. Well, imagine... I don't know. Like, it was your wedding day, right? And right, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. It's Alanis Morissette. <laughs> it's Alanis Morissette. <laughs> Thank you. I was going to say, imagine you've got 10,000 spoons. Yeah. <laughs> too much. Too much of a clue. <laughs> Wedding day was perfect. That was just a, a nice little saison uh, where I could take a bite and get the flavor. Well done. <laughs> so that's their three female acts they have for the oh. whole weekend. So, like, none of the fans of the other bands are going to give them a good reception. Like, but no. you're also doing nothing to mix up the energy in the lineup. But this is my favorite bit. So people hadn't slept very much because the reason is, they had a rave tent, but the rave tent only started when the other bands finished at like 11.30, 12 at night and then just went right through the night. So there's just this footage of people uh -huh. who've been out in the sun drinking and taking drugs all day because they weren't checking for drugs at the door. And so they've been drinking and taking drugs and then they go to this all-night rave and just go straight through and then uh -huh. if I had not left the night before, I definitely would have left the next morning. <laughs> 
I mean, even as you're describing it, I'm actually getting like those little, that little butterflies in my tummy, a bit of heart palpitations, because I've been at festivals that have been run completely fine, mm. and it's got to day two or day three where I'm like, I want to get out of here. <laughs> like, I, I don't care like how well organised it is. And the one, I mean, I often think about The Simpsons, like for, for everything they skewered about society so accurately, I think the one lasting thing for me is they got mob mentality every time the people of Springfield go crazy and just like break down in three seconds. I reckon The Simpsons nailed. That's exactly what we're like. It does not take much of a push before we all descend into madness. I think that is a great observation about The Simpsons too. I really do feel like it's almost the most accurate thing that they got. Yes. Like, or that they do just uniquely better than anybody else. And it's so true. And that's what this weekend is absolutely. It's like if it was set in Springfield, you'd be like, yep, that would, that's what would have happened. <laughs> yeah, it's the most cynical of takes of humanity because that is, if you say you get a bunch of people together for a music festival, what could go wrong? Mm. The most cynical thing you could say is exactly what happened at Woodstock 99. Like yeah. it, it, <laughs> day one, it's all going to go to shit. 